Good morning, Cornerstone. Thank the praise team for that reminder of the mercy of God. His mercies are new every morning. Great is God's faithfulness unto me. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers, biological mothers and foster mothers and found mothers, and to all the mothers we wish a happy Mother's Day. I'm reminded of my mother today. She passed away some eight years ago. As I was thinking about my mother, I thought about one time when I was in the fourth grade. And my family had moved into a new community here in Chicago. And I developed a serious problem. During the early parts of the new school year, I went to my mother one morning and I was coughing and I was holding my throat. And I explained to my mother that I was having a problem breathing. And she said, so what's wrong with you? What's going on? I said, I don't know, Mom, but every time I breathe, it hurts when I breathe. And so my mother checked me over real good, and like mothers do. And she sat me down and took my temperature and put her hands on my thyroid glands to see if they were swollen. And after her evaluation, my mother says to me, well, son, here's the solution then. If it hurts you to breathe, then stop breathing. <laughs> and me being a child, I wasn't realizing at the moment that she had outsmarted me. And I agreed, okay, mom, I'll just stop breathing for today. I didn't really have a problem, but then again, I did have a problem. The problem wasn't with my lungs. The problem wasn't with the air that I was breathing. My problem was that I hated the new school I was going to, and to go a little bit deeper, I hated the fact that every day I was being bullied at school. My mother didn't know what was going on. My mother did not know the root cause of my problem. But by process of elimination and from her previous experience with the seven children that came before me, <laughs> mom could confidently assume that there was nothing wrong with the air, there was nothing wrong with my lungs, and there was nothing wrong with the school itself. But there was something wrong with me. What was wrong, she didn't know. So she sent my brothers up to the school to meet me after school to try to identify what the problem was. And when my brothers identified what the problem was, I and they dealt with the problem in very short order. Humanity has a problem. And the problem of humanity is death. We all die. And while we are right to conclude that death is a part of life, 
somewhere deep within, we all have a taste for the eternal. Ecclesiastes chapter three, verse 11 says that God has set eternity in the hearts of men. God has given to mankind a sense of the divine. Somehow humankind understands that our minds are not subject to eternal destruction. Somehow we perceive that the mind is an invisible entity and it is not and cannot be affected by the passage of time. If you're older, you know what I'm talking about. When you know that you're over six years old and you still try to pick up that piece of furniture like you're 21. Your mind has not aged at all, but your body has certainly decayed. Humankind has a problem. Humankind has a dilemma. And our dilemma is that we cannot identify the root cause of our problem. As we read along with Paul in the book of Romans, we are at least so far able to identify three potential culprits. According to Romans, the three suspects are the law, sin, or death itself. One of these three is killing us. One of these three is the problem. But which one? Last week, Paul celebrated the fact that the believer has been released from the law. Now being released from the law, we are able to serve God in the spirit and not according to the written code. That's what he said. We have been relief, relieved from the law. And with this explanation, it would appear that the law was the problem. Get rid of the law and we defeat death. And if one were to only read Romans chapter 1 to chapter 6, it would appear that this is exactly what Paul is teaching. That the law is useless, ineffective, and that the law is the obstacle that blocks us from a relationship with God. The law is the problem. Even if you go back and listen to the sermons I've preached in the book of Romans so far, it would sound like I was saying the exact same thing as Paul. That the law is the problem. And that's one of the challenges with expository preaching. That's one of the challenges with preaching verse by verse. You always have this temptation to run ahead of what the writer is saying. It becomes very tempting sometimes to insert your own caveats and disclaimers to the message. But we have been patient. And we have walked with Paul up to this point in the text. And now today, Paul begins to dig down a little deeper to get to the heart of the matter, to get to the core of humanity's existential problem. He begins with this question in verse 7 of 
Romans chapter 7. What shall we say then? What shall we say in response to last week's assertion that we have been released from the law? What should we conclude from this commemorative truth? Are we to conclude that the law is sinful? Is that what Paul is asserting? That the law was the problem all along? Certainly not, Paul says. By no means. The law is not the source of sin and the law is not the source of your death. In fact, in the grand scheme of things, the law is rather innocuous. The law itself produces neither death nor life. The law is like, like a doctor. It simply identifies my problem. Paul says, nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you should not covet. In other words, I would not have known how sick I was were it not for the law. Most men, myself included, hate to go to the doctor. Can I get any men to witness that? Most men that I know hate to go to the doctor because we don't want to get any bad news. It's as if we think that going to the doctor is going to make us sick. But the doctor doesn't make you sick. The doctor doesn't give you cancer. But if cancer is present in my body, the doctor through modern science, the doctor will hopefully find that cancer. He will find my problem and the truth is that whether you go to the doctor or not, if you have cancer, at some point cancer is going to reveal itself in your body and you may end up in the emergency room, diagnosed too late to do anything about your condition. The law is that doctor. The law is the advanced warning system to inform me that I have an ailment that needs tending. Paul continues in verse 8, but sin, or but my sickness, seizing opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. In other words, the law causes an allergic reaction within me. That the law and my flesh do not mix and cannot get along. The sinful nature is allergic to the commandments of God. How does a person know they're allergic to peanuts? Most people learn they're allergic to peanuts by eating a peanut. And that's when you find out that peanuts don't agree with you. The law 
is like an allergy test. And when the law is applied to the heart of a human soul, it sets off a chain reaction that exacerbates and exposes our allergy. The law makes our sinful nature sick. Paul explains this though, he says, you know, apart from the law, sin was dead. Apart from the law, sin was dormant. You didn't even know you had sin apart from the law. Like the coronavirus, most people that get coronavirus don't even have any symptoms. It's difficult to know that you have the virus. Apart from the law, sin had no symptoms. And I thought I was normal. But we were still sinning. Even apart from the law, humankind was still sinning. But sin had no definition. And sin has no definition apart from the law of God. There were no written boundaries. So every person did what they wanted to do without concern for eternal consequences. This is what Paul explains next. He says, once I was alive apart from the law. And while he makes it sound like he's about to give us an autobiography, I need to make you aware of this, that Paul is not here talking about himself in this text. This is a very interesting text. Paul is not talking about himself when he says, I was alive apart from the law. How do I know that Paul is not talking about himself? Because Philippians chapter 3 and verse 5, Paul tells us that he was circumcised on the eighth day that he was of the nation of Israel, that he was a Benjamite, and that he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. So, so, with the exception of the first seven days of Paul's life, Paul never lived apart from the law. On the eighth day when he was circumcised, Paul became a man under the law. So, what is he talking about? There was a time when I lived apart from the law. He's not talking about himself. Instead, Paul is giving us a lesson in human history. Paul is saying that there was a time when humanity did not have the written code of God. There was a time when men lived without the law, obviously. From the book of Genesis chapter 1 to the book of Exodus chapter 20, all those people before Exodus chapter 20, all of them lived apart from the law. They had no law, meaning that they had no idea how sick they were. There was a time when humanity did not have a doctor on hand. No one to diagnose our malady. And 
while I've said before that ignorance is not a defense, still God in his graciousness gave us a fighting chance. God gave us the law so that we could come to understand our dire situation and so that we would seek the remedy. Have you ever had a bad cold? I had a bad head cold a couple weeks ago. Have a bad head cold and you go to the doctor. And as soon as you walk into the doctor's office, it seems like all of your symptoms just disappear. Anybody ever experienced that? I can be as sick as a dog. The moment I walk into the doctor's office, I feel fine. I guess that's the mind thing. I really don't want to be there, so maybe I'm trying to convince myself that I'm not sick. But all of my symptoms disappear. And then the moment she gives me that prescription to go to Walgreens and pick up my prescription, I leave her office and before I make it to Walgreens, all of my symptoms seem to come back in full force. <laughs> That's how sin responds to the law. Before the law came, sin was present. But for the most part, sin was dormant and invisible to my senses. I didn't even know that I was sick. But Paul says when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. Whoa. Okay. When God gave the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, and I said, thou shalt not covet. Well, what is coveting? Coveting is desiring your neighbor's goods. I always desire my neighbor's goods. I, I, I'm, I'm sick. Thou shalt not steal. Mm, I'm always walking through the fields and stealing their corn. I, I shouldn't steal. I, I, did, I had no idea. I'm a sinner. I'm, I'm sick. Something's wrong with me. When the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. The law came and sin had an allergic reaction. And to make, make the point even more fine, Anything that responds negatively to the law of God, anything that responds negatively to the Ten Commandments is sin. Only sin has a negative response to the law of God and nothing else. Sin hates the law. Because the law makes sin more and more sick. The law came, sin sprang to life, and I died. Sin killed me. Ah. Uh, sin killed me. The sin that had been controlling my life all along, but with a light hand, suddenly became much more heavy-handed when the law came. It overwhelmed all of my systems and it overtook my true self. Sin killed me. Something is killing me. Something is causing me to always be unhappy and to always be dissatisfied. 
Since I seem to be doing just fine before the law came, it must be the law that's killing me. Paul says, no, that's not what I found. Verse 10, I found, or this is what I have discovered, that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. Wait a minute, Paul. I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life to me actually brought death to me. That was my conclusion. But is this an accurate depiction of what really occurred? Is this what actually happened? Do you mean to say that if I just turn away from God's law, if I just ignore the law of God and allow his law no sway in my life, that then I'll be all right? If I reject the law, everything will be okay? Paul here is pointing out two major misleading ideas regarding the law. And the first misunderstanding that that we have concerning the law is that the law was given to bring life. Paul says that thing that was supposed to bring life to me, that's a misunderstanding. The law was not given to bring life to me. And while a positive response to the law can result in my eternal life, that is not the primary function of the law. Life is not the function of the law. The main purpose of the law is to inform me that I am dead. And I was dying before the law even came. I just didn't know it. And that's the second misunderstanding about the law, that God gave the law in order to kill me. Oh, that God gave the law in order to inconvenience me. That God gave the law to make me feel bad about myself. You know, that's how a lot of believers view the law. That God gave the law in order to restrict me, to harm me, to hurt me. A lot of believers believe that. They're always eager to tell you that the law no longer applies. And today is worse than ever. Everyone wants to remind you that the law no longer applies. The problem of the law, they say, the problem of the written code of God as found in the New Testament has been dealt with through Jesus Christ. So we can just follow Jesus and never mind the law. This is the new liberal teaching of our day. The law no longer applies. We just follow Jesus. But it is Jesus Christ who declared in no uncertain terms. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to verse 20, Jesus Christ, the one they claim to follow, Jesus Christ said this, Do not presume that I came to abolish the law or the prophets, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. That's what Jesus said, the law. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter, not the smallest stroke of a letter shall pass from the law until all has been accomplished. Therefore, Jesus Christ says, 
Whoever nullifies one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches these laws, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was a man of the law. So away with those people who say to me, well, the law no longer applies because now we have Jesus. No, Jesus said, I'm with the law. And if you're not with the law, then you're not with Jesus. Hmm. Jesus makes it emphatically clear here that the law is not the problem. That's what Jesus is saying. But Paul the Apostle hones in on the problem once again in verse 11 of Romans chapter 7, and he says that sin, seizing opportunity afforded by the commandment, in other words, the commandments of God forced sin to show its hand. <laughs> the commandments of God forced my sins to show their hand, to respond, to show itself. The law came, and Paul says, verse 11, the law came and sin deceived me. Watch this. The law came and sin tricked me. It deceived me just like it deceived Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, where God gave only one command to not eat of a certain tree, and sin responded by deceiving Adam and Eve into believing that this one law, this one rule was proof that God wanted to oppress them. That's what too many Christians think about the law of God today. It's oppressive. <laughs> it's patriarchal, all this, this, this talk. It doesn't apply to us. Oh, really? That is the same deception that Satan used against Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The law of God is oppressive. Sin deceived them, and sin deceives us into believing that the law is the enemy of myself. And this is the great deception of all sin. Sin deceives me into thinking. Sin deceives me into believing that it and I are one and the same. And that is not the case. I am not my sin. Sin has so intertwined itself into my personality, into my thinking, and into my heart that it feels like when the law speaks against sin that the law is speaking against myself. Sin deceived me into believing that there is no daylight between it and me. That is the great deception. And I didn't know any better. I didn't realize that sin had taken my place. I didn't realize it. That sin was impersonating me. And the life that I was living is not even who I actually am. That this story that I am writing is not actually my story, but the story of a life of sin. And I have been walking dead as long as I've been in this world. 
Sin has always been impersonating me. Hmm. And this is the deep mystery, brothers and sisters. The mystery of life and the mystery of death, the mystery of good and the mystery of iniquity, that whether, listen, listen close to this, that whether I live my life in service to Jesus Christ or in service to sin, I cannot live my true life in this world. I've got to say that again. I want to make sure you understand what I'm saying here. Got to be clear with this one. That whether I live my life in service to Jesus Christ or in service to sin, I cannot live my true life in this world. I am owned by good or I am owned by evil and I never have the power to live my life on my own terms. I will be ruled by Jesus Christ or I will be ruled by sin, but I will be ruled. So will every, every human soul in the world. <laughs> this is the great mystery. That either you are a servant to sin or you are a servant to God and there is no in between. My life will always be overshadowed by Jesus Christ or my life will always be overshadowed by sin. And if sin rules my life, then I will die. If Jesus Christ is the ruler in my life, then I will live eternally. Humanity is caught between a battle between good and evil. And contrary to what you might think about yourself, you are not even the main character in the story. It's bigger than that. You are either a hostage to sin or you have been freed from sin to serve Jesus Christ. In either case, you do not possess the title to your own existence. You are not the master of your own destiny. You are not the captain of your own soul. You always will. As long as you're in this world, you always will belong to another, whether to Satan or to God. You will always be. <laughs> That's the great mystery. What about the agnostic? What about the atheist? What about the person that doesn't believe anything? Listen, let me tell you something now. Humanism is both a fallacy and a farce because no human being has the authority to call the plays on this great stage of life. No one does. Humanism is a lie. And we must choose to which power we will yield our allegiance. And whether we choose Jesus Christ or whether we choose sin, we will never be our own. We will always belong to another either to the loving God who created us for his goodwill, or we will be, belong to and be possessed by sin that is determined to use us and to annihilate us for all eternity. It's our choice. The law came in order to tell Calvin Robinson that the road I was on leads to destruction. But 
when the law came, sin, being agitated by the prospect of losing its host body, sin through the commandment, this is what Paul says, sin through the commandment put me to death. Oh, sin put me to death. Sin killed me. And not only that, sin killed me and turned around and told me that God killed me. Sin killed me and turned around and told me that the law is killing me. Sin deceived me. Sin killed me and turned me against God by convincing me that God's hatred of sin was his hatred of me. And so I ran away, and so humanity ran away from the law, and we hid ourselves. And sin has been walking around posing as ourselves ever since. While we spend our lives hiding from God, resenting God, accusing God, angry at God, raging against the law of God, eager to do everything within our power to eradicate the whole world of the laws and the rule of God. Sin deceived us. And we became desperate to throw off any and all modesty and discretion to flaunt our sins in the face of God's law and to teach others to do the same. All because we didn't realize that the law was just a doctor diagnosing the original illness. An illness that I had long before the written code had ever been given. The law is not and the law has never been my problem. To the contrary, Paul the Apostle says that, verse 12, the law is holy. The commandment is holy, righteous, and good. So, I'm trying to follow you, Paul, but Why do I have such a hatred? Why do I have such a radically adversarial reaction to the law? Whereas Paul asked in verse 13, did that which is good then become death to me? I don't understand. When the law came, I died. But you're saying the law is good. Does that mean that, 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 that this law that's supposed to be so good became death to me? If the law is so good, why am I dying beneath its weight? If the law is so good, why does it feel like the law is sucking the very life out of me, restricting my movement, disturbing my peace? Has the law of God gone rogue? Why, Calvin, why? Tell me why does the law have such a problem with the way I choose to live my life? Why, Pastor, please tell me why does it, the law so incessantly point out all of my faults? I'm just doing me. 
I'm just trying to find my true self. I'm just trying to be my true self. I'm just living my truth. Huh. Why does the law take issue with that? Why does the law have a problem with that? Why does the law judge me so harshly and not try to just understand my perspective? Why doesn't the law just try to accept me as I am? I'll answer that question for you. The law takes issue with your sin because as you are is not actually who you are. And the only person who doesn't know it is you. The law doesn't have any problem with you. The law has a problem with your false self. The law has a problem with your own self-perception because the law knows that you are not who you think you are. The law knows that long ago, sin took your place. The law knows that as long as you have been alive, you have been a walking dead and that sin has been walking around impersonating you and the only person who doesn't know that is you. When the law attacks sin, the law is not attacking you. But, the law, but, but sin has so deceived you into believing that you are identified with it when you are actually not at all. Hmm. And that's the answer. And if you will allow the law to make that point to you, and if you will humbly accept the fact that you do not know who you are and that you must be defined by God alone, if you can accept this fact, then you can begin to become whom you were created to be. Otherwise, you will live your life as an imposter and you will never know who you are. You think that you are your sin because you have been deceived. The law is holy, the law is righteous, and the law of God is good. So Paul asked the question, did that which is good then become death to me? By no means, Paul responds, nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, sin used what is good to bring about my death. And that was a clever trick. That is a clever deception of Satan himself. Sin used what is good to convince me that I must die. To make me think that the law of God hates me and I must run away. To make me believe that God hates me. And to take it even further, sin has convinced most people that anyone who wants to see change in their lives hates you, the deception of Satan. 
Any law that you find in the Bible that demands that you change is against you. It hates you. We must rid ourselves of those laws. We're just going to follow Jesus. Uh, No, you're not. If you're not following the law, you're not following Jesus. (laughs) That's the point. There's no way to get around it. The law is holy and righteous and good. Anyone who refuses to accept our opinion, anyone who refuses to accept our renditions of ourselves, they must hate us. Any Bible verse that speaks ill of my sinful proclivities, that Bible verse must be my enemy. It must have been written in later into the text. Satan convinced Adam and Eve that God was jealous of them. Imagine this foolishness just for a minute. Satan convinced Adam and Eve that God was somehow jealous of them. And they believed it. And believe it or not, Satan is still playing from that same playbook to this very day, and most people still believe him. But this is what the law actually came to do. To show sin up for who it really is. To help us understand just how evil sin really is. As Paul says that through the commandment of God, sin might become utterly sinful. It is because of the law, brothers and sisters. It is because of the commandment that we came to recognize our sin, not just as being bad, but we came to recognize sin as being utterly, irrevocably, and eternally sinful, and sin is no part of who we truly are. I'm not being presumptuous here. I'm not making anything up. And next week, we're going to see Paul explain it even more clearly. Sin is not who I am. And sin has never been who I really am. As we continue our study in the book of Romans chapter 7 next week, we're going to learn that through the law, we come to recognize that my sin and myself are two totally different natures. That God has sent Jesus Christ into the world to obliterate and to annihilate my sin and to allow me to walk free. Hmm. What is the point then today? My point is Paul's point. Simply to remind us or to inform us that the law is not the problem. That the rules of God are not the problem. That God sent the law into the world so that we could better understand our own problem, our own situation, so that the law could shine a spotlight into each of us to show us our sinfulness, to show us our utter sinfulness so that we could run to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and redemption through him. That is the purpose of the law. And when the law finds you to be a sinner, don't take it personally. 
because you are not sin. Sin just lives in you. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. Let's pray. Father God, your word you said is sharper than any two-edged sword. Sharp enough to divide the soul from the spirit and the joints from the marrow. And we are fearfully and wonderfully made. But since the Garden of Eden, you know that we have been infected with a debilitating disease called sin. And because sin is so deceptive, sometimes sin convinces me that the way that I am and the things that I do are actually who I am, that are actually my personality. And I can't tell the difference between my sin and myself. And this makes it difficult to, for me to run to you for help. Because that sin that is within me convinces me that you are my enemy. Father God, we are all lost within the darkness of our sins, in the darkness and confusion of our own wretchedness. And we confess today that we do not truly know who we are. We come to you and we seek your face to give us our identity in and through Jesus Christ our Lord. To show us the distinction between our sins and ourselves to give us the strength and the courage, Lord God, to turn our sins over to the cross of Jesus Christ to be crucified so that we can live in you. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for the great operation of sending your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, into the world to deal with my infection, to deal with my sickness, my illness, and my malady. Help me to yield to the law, to listen to the words of the law. So that the sin that is within me would be exacerbated and I might come to recognize that the thing that is hindering me, the thing that is holding me back and the thing that is seeking to destroy my life is not your law, but the sin that dwells in me. Give us wisdom and direction as we do our best to walk this walk of faith. Give us understanding hearts, biblical clarity. Invade our lives with your truth. And in your light, we will see light. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>